Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. A safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells. Hello, Feely Humans. Welcome to another episode of... You, Me, Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 161 on the opportunity and beauty of impermanence with my guest, Jason Garner. Jason and I, in this episode, explore the heaviness in the world right now, losing his mother to stomach cancer at an early age, the power and danger of stories, meditation and learning to find stillness, and, as I mentioned, the opportunity and beauty of impermanence, of not knowing, of change, of the moment. Uh, so we talk a lot about that in this episode. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Jason is such a thoughtful, sweet, vulnerable human. I really enjoyed this chat, and I think you will love it too. Before we get to uh, the chat with Jason, I wanted to uh, remind you that you can support me and the work I do in Feely Human and in this podcast, You Me Empathy, on Patreon. It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Feely Human. Patreon is a way to support me on an ongoing basis. Uh, a few bucks a month uh, gets you uh, an extra episode every month. Um, and then there are various reward tiers with various other rewards. Um, if you have uh, some spare cash uh, and want to throw it at me, um, I'll take it right in the face. Uh, but truly, uh, if you want to support me in the work I do, Patreon's a good place to do that, patreon.com slash feelyhuman. And uh, if you want to support me uh, for free, um, a, a good way to do that is to leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts for Yumi Empathy. It's uh, it only takes a minute or so, and uh, it really does truly help out the show. So if you could do that, that would be wonderful, and I appreciate you. And um, I'm also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on some new projects, uh, some exciting things coming up for Feely Human. So if you want to join the community there, uh, go to feelyhuman.co, sign up for the newsletter. Um, I send that out once a month, and... Uh, if you're a writer, I'm looking for new uh, stories in the journal. So check that out at feelyhuman.co slash journal. And um, also I'm looking for uh, workshop leaders. So if you want to go to feelyhuman.co slash collaboration and see all the ways that um, uh, you can collaborate with me and Feely Human. So check that out. Feelyhuman.co is the website. And the last thing I wanted to mention... Today is Monday, January 18th. It is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I link um, 
I'm linking the letter from a Birmingham jail, his, his, his famous uh, letter um, that he wrote while in jail. Uh, I linked that in the show notes. It's wonderful. I highly recommend you read uh, if you haven't read, but if you have, read again. It's, it's so prescient. It's so beautiful, and we need it. Um, and there, there's, a, there's a quote in here. So much of it is so good, but there's something here that I wanted to quote. Um, he says, quote, I had hoped that the white moderate would see this need. Perhaps I was too optimistic. Perhaps I expected too much. I suppose I should have realized that few members of the oppressor race can understand the deep groans and passionate yearnings of the oppressed race. And still fewer have the vision to see that injustice must be rooted out by strong, persistent, and determined action. End quote. Ain't that the truth? Um, I'll leave you with that. Please go read a letter from a Birmingham jail. Um, we need it. And, and enjoy this episode with my guest, Jason Garner. He's wonderful, and uh, remember, there is so much opportunity and beauty in impermanence. Enjoy. You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we face as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I am grateful to be here in this moment, on this magical plane of existence, with former CEO of Global Music at Live Nation, who's now breathing again, thankfully, with meditation, mindfulness, and writing. It's Jason Garner. Hello, Jason. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's so uh, it's so wonderful to connect with you and have you on the show. It's very nice to be here. And what a great uh, intro you have there. I love it. It's perfect. <laughs> Thanks. I uh, I love doing them. It makes me happy. It. I told someone recently on the show that you know, I read that with the guest every time, you know, that, that initial, and then I have like a custom sort of intro for the guest, but it reading it entirety, I think it like anchors me and, and just kind of sets the tone. And, and I've heard it help some guests kind of like, Oh, this is what we're doing. We're getting into this, you know? 
So it feels good. That's great. Well, I, I enjoyed it and I think um, we need more spaces like this. So congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, this is, this is us. This is all of us. This is you and me. This is not just, not just me. Um, before we get into your story, Jason, we always, we always start off the show with an emotional check-in. How are you, how are you feeling? I feel good. You know, it's, I, I think that question when we're honest has taken on a different level of gravity in the last, you know, eight or nine months. And, um, mm. I think, I think there's heaviness in the world right now that um, is actually hard to not be aware of, <laughs> and you know, so many of us have had to stop probably for the first time in our in our lives, and so um, you know, despite the fact that I kind of feel like I've been practicing for this moment for the last you know eight or nine years. You know, there, there. I do feel heaviness when I check in with my body, and and fear and concern about um, about you know the state of our the state of our world. Yeah. And, and of course, I have a practice and in a in a life that is big enough to hold that. But I think it's important to to recognize and and to and to be honest about that that feeling that. The, the usual kind of I'm doing great, I, I do have to say together with I, I am doing great and I feel good. And then there's also this heaviness that, that I feel is kind of weighing on, on our world and on, on me at this moment. Mm. Yeah, I feel that deeply. There's a couple of things that I, you, you listening to you speak and, and listening to you say that makes me feel two things. One is is you're right, I think there is this thing we do as humans where we don't want to go there. We don't want to go to the places that uh, maybe are uncomfortable for ourselves and for others even, right? And we also forget, and I think you picked up on this at the end, we also forget that there's more than one truth we can hold, right? We can, we can be also okay and feel okay, but we can also struggle at the same time and recognize the heaviness and I think sometimes we forget that, you know? Yeah. You know, I think, I think we're taught and all of us. And then I'll say in my experience as a man, I want to say, especially men that this kind of vulnerable, sensitive part of us that can feel and say something like the world is heavy or I'm scared or I feel isolated we're, we're taught that that's not okay. You know, it's kind of teased out of us on the school ground and that same kind of uh, mentality then is pervasive throughout life. And it's teased out of us in high school and college and at, and at work and on nights out with the guys and all these, all these types of things. And I would imagine um, that the same is true for, for people who identify as, as other genders as well. And so I, I have found that because it's so hard to not feel the gravity of this moment, that it's an easier conversation and that more and more of my friends are surprising me when I ask them how they're doing and they're saying, I'm scared or I'm lonely or, mm. you know, I'm uncertain. And, and what an opportunity that is, you know, that kind of not knowing is actually this beautiful road to intimacy 
and, and a place that we can connect in versus these masks and capes that we put on of having all the answers and knowing everything. And suddenly here we are, the world pulled the carpet out from under us and nobody can claim to know, <laughs> not scientists, not CEOs, not <laughs> athletes or entertainers or any of us. We, we all know the same thing that we're seeing on CNN about the state of the world and Fox News or whatever you watch. And we all know what we're feeling in those moments when we're still and, and quiet. And so in that way, kind of beautiful that this moment perhaps is connecting us through the, through the unknowing. Mm, yeah, I like that. That is a, it's a very compassionate view of the world, which I, I also try to hold on to in my heart and sometimes struggle with. But, but you're right, at the end of the day, this, this experience we're all having now is, is one that is universal in, in a lot of ways, right? You know, I'm, I'm also feeling that with people in my life where, you know, maybe they haven't had moments of calmness or moments to just sit with all of these brand new feelings, right? And I think you said it great, Jason, which is like, it hurts. I think it hurts too much to not go to the feelings, to not be curious about them, to not look at them and seek them out. Other, you know, I, because eventually it's just going to be a burden too much to bear. Yeah. And I, and I think the, the places that we've gone to hide traditionally have been taken away from us during, during the pandemic, you know, like sure. a lot of us don't have jobs right now. You know, our typical forms of entertainment of getting out of the house of going to a concert or a movie or dinner, um, sports, you know, lots of these things are, are gone. And so, you know, one of the things that I felt kind of early on in this pandemic was that, it was as if everybody had been put on retreat, but without teachers and without skills, you know, mm. it's like everyone was kind of locked down and forced to be on this retreat. And I was getting calls from lots of people saying, Hey, I know you've sat in meditation quite a bit. I know you've done retreats. Like I need some help. Like, I don't know what to do with all this, these parts of myself that I, I didn't know existed. And suddenly, you know, they're screaming at me right now. And, and that's hard and traumatic and daunting. And then it's also beautiful, you know, like it just, there is, there is something about this kind of uncertain time that does turn us towards intimacy in a way that I think perhaps our society is not normally geared towards. Yeah, no, I feel that. What have you, have you learned anything about yourself during these past eight, nine months living in a pandemic? Yeah. You know, it, that's, it is an interesting thing. You know, like I think we're always feeling that we're, that we've got concepts down, you know? And so, <laughs> you know, like I, I have a very strong understanding of, of impermanence, you know, my whole, my whole journey, you know, came about because, you know, my mom died in my arms from stomach cancer at a young age. And, you know, that same year I was 
in the middle of my second divorce and I left my job. And so impermanence is this theme that, that life gave me and I also play with quite a bit. But it's a different thing to experience impermanence in the way that we all have where things are taken from you. You know, one, one thing is I decide to go on retreat and exclude certain parts of my life in order to look at, at others. And the other, and then it's another thing when life says you can't have that. (laughs) And so I did find early on in the, in the pandemic that I was trying to be in charge of my life through that practice. So like, you know, kind of, I practice around impermanence and therefore I control impermanence and which of course is not true. And so the first, you know, the first bit during this pandemic, I I felt myself really kind of clinging to my practice and then clinging to things that were taken away and then trying to think ahead as if Mm. I could out match life. And, and it took a minute for me to see what I was doing and then to just kind of let go and, and settle into, you know, this really, really uncertain and, and scary and scary time. And so that's, um, that was a really nice insight for me. And, and one of those types of, um, yeah, inner insights that come about from really tough times. Yeah, I love that. And I I think I felt a bit of that. The way that I'm thinking about what you just said is, you know, you said, you know, trying to control impermanence, which is, you know, obviously, you know, an oxymoron. It's it's a thing we can't do. It's it's impermanence, right? We don't know what it is. It's it's always changing, right? Um but I so feel like it in my body and bones the the you know, I'm someone, Jason, who had a history of anorexia, like in my late teens through mid twenties, and it was a it was an exercise in just trying to control a life that was out of control. Everything going on in my life, outside externally, was just you know that my projection was that it was pure out of control, and so I controlled my life through disorder, right? Disordered eating. And, and, and I so feel the, like, you experience this pandemic, right? And then you want to, you know, just, oh, you kind of like go overboard with the control. Like you, you want, you go back to your, I mean, you certainly have your anchor points. You have the things that tether you, but I, I I can imagine so many of our listeners relating to the feeling of like, Okay, I'm feeling uh, lost at sea a little bit. Let me let me like throw all these like anchors at and anchors out of the boat in an, in an attempt to like just over control or oversteer this thing. Which you know maybe we do it too much. Yeah, I think that's. <laughs> I just think that's <laughs> that's right on. You know, and I, you know, the, I think most of us get that when you're trying to amass material wealth or things that there's a, there's kind of a, a, an attempt there to control life and, you know, like trying, trying to kind of get ahead and out game, 
out game life. You know, if I make a lot of money and donate money to the hospital, then I won't be the guy that dies of the heart attack, that kind of, Mm. that kind of thing. I think it's harder to see when it's, you know, kind of spiritual materialism as um, Trungpa Rinpoche used to say, but we, but we do it, you know? And so, you know, I, you know, I kind of saw there where I thought that my understanding of impermanence made me not vulnerable to impermanence, you know? And this is, of course, was a deeply subconscious thought because on the surface, as you said, that's a ridiculous statement, but, but it was there, it was there nonetheless. And, and, you know, like you said about, about, um, about what you, your struggles, I, I think we do this, right? We look for some place that we can control and the ego doesn't really care what it is, you know, it's just trying to be in control. And in a very sweet way, it's trying to be in control so we don't die. You know, it's trying, it's trying to find something that it can anchor in and, and make us, and make us safe. And then, you know, the, the kind of paradox of it is, is that often it's killing us and, and sometimes Mm -hmm. emotionally, sometimes physically. But so I I think these moments that shake us up, they're really tough, but they often also carry with them kind of a byproduct, which is if, if we can look and listen, we often can discover areas that, that were, you know, that were hidden to us. And then that's where kind of growth comes from. Yeah, I love that. And that seems like it's everything, the looking and listening, because, you know, we mentioned impermanence, you mentioned impermanence. You know, I I always sort of refer to the pale blue dot, you know, Carl Sagan's, you know, famous uh, writing about like, the wonder and uncertainty and beauty and sort of overwhelm of this, you know, living on this planet, right? That is that is a thing that will always be right, and you know we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So the looking and listening seems like a thing that is something we can hold in our hearts that will, you know, allow for a bit more of that letting go. We need to do a little bit more of the curiosity we need to do to grow, as you said, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, I really, and I really think that's the key to, or the underlying kind of superpower of all of these practices that I think get, they get kind of mislabeled by popular culture. And we start to have these ideas that, you know, meditation is somehow about clearing my mind or, you know, sitting in lotus position and elevating two feet off the ground or, you know, whatever picture we've seen in a in a movie, but, you know, in reality, it is just about learning to, to, to find some stillness so that we can sit and look and, and, and listen. And, you know, ultimately, if there is a goal, I, I would say that the goal is intimacy and, you know, which can be said in with different words, you know, attention, uh, ultimately though it's love and, and, and as we learn to sit and look with increasingly less judgmental eyes or to listen with increasingly less judgmental ears, we grow close, closer to ourselves. And, and that's really, you know, the beauty of meditation. And then as I get to know myself, it dawns on me at some point that I know you as well. 
and you're trying your best as well and you want to be happy as well and you have crazy thoughts in your head too mm-hmm. and you're suffering just like me and then that's when compassion compassion is born and so i i really think like you know when we talk about things like meditation that have been so important to me you know it's not it's not this popularized meditation of somehow it makes me better at my job or somehow i clear my head or you know any of these things that that we hear but just much more on a very kind of simple fundamental level of just getting to know myself and and learning to love myself and by extension learning to love you and then then it takes on kind of a much sweeter tender more tender flavor you know yeah yeah absolutely i want to go back cuz you know you you've talked about your story but my my listeners haven't really heard it before you know you're in this place now jason where you are you're in meditation you're in you know you pursue these things wholly and and it, they mean the world to you but you weren't always there right and and you've been open about this i want to go back to a little bit before your the loss of your mother and that time in your life where you were you know part of the rat race part of the sort of corporate america culture of you know crush 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 you know productivity you know all of that stuff like i want to like help me and the listeners understand like how you got to that place yeah so i mean i think the starting point is is the starting point so i was mm-hmm. i was you know raised by a single mother my sister and i and we had no money you know we lived in a trailer at a children's home that my mom worked at in the Arizona desert and then you know we bunked with friends and different relationships that my mom had but you know we were we were we were poor and i and i saw i learned from that as a child that i wanted to make money you know i i, I thought if i make this money i can save my mom and i can save our our family. Hmm. And then the second thing that was kind of going on simultaneously to that is that my mom had a tough life and so she loved us deeply but there wasn't a lot of space for me to kind of mess up, you know, like it, like that would just right. be adding, you know, my mom was working three jobs and so yeah, you know, how could I get in a fight at school kind of <laughs> kind of right. thing, you know. Yeah. And so so I had kind of this message of needing to be perfect together with a message of wanting to 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 make a lot of money and so you know I I, I worked my entire life as a little kid I was washing dishes and cleaning bathrooms and selling roses on the side of the road and painting houses and etc cetera, etc cetera. and and through a you know a long series of of events I ended up in the concert business and kind of made my way to the top of that business where I was the head of concerts as you said at Live Nation which is the largest concert uh, promoter in the world and so you know probably over my life I've been involved with maybe you know 100,000 or so concerts and and producing them wow and but you know I didn't go to college I was so I didn't have you know I wasn't prepared for that kind of huge 
job, what I was driven by was this hole inside. And, and it was quite effective, you know, it, it kept me going, but I wasn't caring for myself. I was working incredible amounts of, of hours. You know, I wasn't eating well. I was drinking too much, you know, sometimes, you know, doing a line of Coke in, in Vegas to, to let off some steam and have a good time. And, and probably the most toxic thing in my life was, you know, this hole that was all consuming that just kept telling me whatever I had achieved wasn't enough. And I had to keep going and going and going and going and Mm. going. And so, yeah, so there I am at 37 years old and I have this massive job, you know, pretty cool job. (laughs) And I'm in the middle of a, my second divorce, as I said earlier, and then I get a phone call that my mom has stage four stomach cancer and has been given, you know, a couple months to live. And everything just kind of tumbled down. And I, I went and spent time with her, which was, you know, the first amount of any real time that I had taken off from work. And we were just there as a, you know, as a family. And like I said, you know, my mom, her last breaths were, were in my arms, you know, the last night of her life, that the rattling of her chest, you know, that people know well that have been around death. You know, I listened to that, Mm. you know, for, for the, for the night. And when she died, something just cracked in me and I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, perhaps part of that was all I was ever trying to do was to make her proud of me and, she was gone, you know, and yeah. perhaps part of it was I just had seen something that most of us don't see at a young age, which is it's going to end, <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. and and so, yeah, and so I figured a way out of my job and was able to keep some stock and some money, and then I set out on a on a journey. It's, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I, I'm, uh, very deeply sorry that you lost your mom. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's shitty. That sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you for sharing though. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And, and you know, it is shitty and it sucks. And it's also one of those things that like people are dying, you know, like people are dying everywhere all the time. And, especially right now. Mm. I had a conversation with a spiritual teacher the other day and, and we were talking about this stuff and he was like, yeah, like welcome to the world. You know, like at the time I was evacuated from my house because of a fire and he was just like, you know, there's fires everywhere and there's pandemics that go on all over the world all the time. And the big problem is that we think it's not supposed to happen to us. Mm. And so kind of in the, in the it's shitty and it sucks is, is also kind of this grown-up realization that life is often shitty and life often sucks. And we tend to make it worse kind of from this place of privilege, privilege in the sense of just I, this isn't supposed to happen to me. It could happen to someone else. Whatever, like, yeah. I'm the special guy whose mom's not supposed to die or yeah. I'm the special person that fire's not supposed to touch their life. And yet 
it does and it and it will and so there's something there's something very beautiful in that in that too that's a really good point it 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 reminds me that i'm human as as we all are like that that's where it brings me is is it's that it's another point of connection do you is it is you know i I'm not super well studied and well versed on this subject, you know, but the part of you that says, Hey, this stuff is not supposed to happen to me. I'm, I'm, I am the special one. And even if I'm not saying that to myself, like consciously, you know, we feel it, right. Is, is that piece, is that the ego? Yeah. I mean, I mean, for a certain sense, it's all the ego, right. Mm, it's like mm-hmm. a certain sense, you know, our, our mind has made up this story of who we are. Yeah. And that story, you know, contains certain kind of like a if and statement and, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, and so then this is supposed to happen and then this is supposed to happen and then this is supposed to happen. Mm. And then life doesn't give a shit, you know, like that's not, life's not, life's not concerned with the stories that we tell. Life is just unfolding. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that comes from these moments that are unexpected is that it does, it shakes us and it shakes our, our kind of um, affinity with the ego. Hmm. And, and, you know, and you can feel that, Oh, this story I've been telling is not quite it. You know, the story I've been telling is not true. And I think that moment that we can, Um, realize that our thoughts are not true always. Yeah, That's a huge, huge, huge realization. It's the beginning actually, I think of, of everything because we can start to deconstruct the story and we can start to realize that we actually live in a much more fluid and flexible and flowing world than what we previously thought because in order to have a world where things aren't supposed to happen, we have to make the world really small. Mm. And you know, that's part of the pain of it is that we're really kind of crushing ourselves into a pretty tiny box. And, and then something happens and it, you know, often just for a little bit, but it breaks the box open and we get glimpses of things that are bigger than this story we've been telling. Mm. It's so, it's, it's fascinating to me because I think you said it before, stories are powerful things, right? Like we connect to stories as humans. We uh, find healing and, and we feel less alone in stories, right? Stories can be empathy machines, as Roger Ebert said, right? And yet, like we, as, as you know, as you're pointing out very well, we, you know, our identities get wrapped up in these stories and then we start to you know, we just, yeah, we do the, if this, then that happens and all of that. And it's, it's just becomes this, uh, this box we're putting ourselves in and that, and that, you know, it, it's rather than the stories being these linear things that exist. It's, it's rather like these, you know, these kind of weird fucked up, choose your own adventure stories that 
always need to be broken down and burned up and like at each turn we're we're faced with something new and exciting and weird and scary and that is the recognition as opposed to like okay this is the story of oliver twist or whatever it may be Mm -hmm. you know yeah and i think that that's such a great like example of like in a choose your own adventure book you're aware that you're in a you're in a book and you're choosing an adventure, yeah. And then you're also aware, hey, I'd, you know, on page three, I'd, I'd chosen a different thing than a whole bunch of other storylines would have played out, and I'd be at a a different place. the The problem in in kind of real life, <laughs> quote unquote, is that we think it's real, mm. and we think it's solid, and we think the story. We get lost in the story to the point that it's real. I mean, and you see it like this isn't just like personal improvement babble. You could see this playing out in our country right now, in our world really, but you know, to stay in our country because we've got enough examples here to last a lifetime, but we're we're actually having deep 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 divisions and battles over whose versions of stories are correct. Right. And and many of us are willing to trample the hearts of other human beings in order to keep our stories and statues intact, right? And that's the that is the it's the power of story, but it's also the danger of of, of story is that is that eventually we're going to trample our hearts and other people's hearts because we're trying desperately to, to solidify something, to hang on to something, to keep it from changing, whose very nature is that it will change, whose very mm. nature is it's going to go away, whose very nature is you made it up to begin <laughs> with or somebody made it up and taught it to you. And, and that's dangerous, you know, and, and you could feel it going on in our, in our world. And so – I think it's important sometimes to take these concepts out of just like, it's not just that I learn this and then my life will be less painful. It's I learn this and I think I can go into the world and be a better human being because I'm actually looking at things that are into a closer version of how they actually are. Mm. Yeah. I lo- I I think I'm tiptoeing so- to try not to be political, but <laughs> you know, no, it's fine. I mean, I I think <laughs> it's a political time, right? And I I think it's pertinent to talk about uh, that division and and that you know real uh, you know like bot embodied sort of like desire to hold on to our uh, what we think are our stories and our truths, right? And and the, I believe, and I try to, you know, do this in my life is like the true power is in is in listening and looking and letting go of those stories, right? Because, as you said, you know, the story we are telling ourselves it's going to change. You know, it it you know, and and it may it may be true and others may be true as well. And we, we don't live in a binary world and, you know, like all of these things that we forget. Um, to me, I, I like to go back to, 
and I think this is what you're saying, to just the human level, to that connection, to that love, to that compassion, to that empathy. And where can we go from there, right? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. And I, and, and I think also this year, I've learned that I also, that even when I go back to love, I have to realize that some of these systems that have been built, some of these stories that have been told have turned into systems that have affected people to where they can't just let go and go back to love, you know, because there's real danger and there's real oppression and there's real, there's real things going on that, you know, I I was talking to a, a friend of mine, um, who's a who's a black um meditation teacher we were just talking about the difference of being in a meditation hall and what some of these kind of meditation catchphrases mean to me and mean to mean to to him and and he said you know it's like when you say let go it never dawns on you when you go out into the street that you might be killed Mm. and i thought wow that's so true and so i gotta come back to love and I got to come back to love and it's kind of really nitty gritty in the mud version of love that says it's not pretty. And even what I call love needs to be examined with compassion for other people's lives and other people's versions of love to come up with some common ground to where we can actually, where we can actually see each other, you know? Yeah. Yes. Always. Thank you for bringing that up. I I do want to go back for a moment to cuz I, you know, I have a day job and a day job I love uh to be clear, but I've had many jobs throughout my life. I'm about 40. Many jobs throughout my life that we that were um toxic that were you know just embattled and enriched with this mindset of like you know, I remember feeling, Jason, at this one job that I worked at, and I won't name the the company, but I, I remember feeling like deep down, and I was fighting it as this sort of anarch- anarchic punk kid that I am. I was fighting the feeling of like, okay, my boss is staying later, like he's staying 10 hours. And I felt like he was putting that pressure on me to also stay, right? And we didn't have any work to do. It was just a it was a presentation of productivity, right? And that's just one of many symptoms that exist in the world of business and corporate culture that I I talk about a lot on this podcast and I I just want to you know, burn it to the ground. Like that that's like I mean, obviously that's not a a thing I can do literally, but like I do like it's it's it makes me deeply upset. It makes me very happy and grateful that you found a, another way. You know, you found your way out of that because it was you know maybe killing you, right? And it's killing more people. It continues to kill people, and it it just makes me deeply upset. And that's just a comment I just wanted to make because it's just I know you can relate. Yeah, and I I think I think it ultimately comes down to what does it take for us to feel good? Mm. You know, because I, I have, I've had that same boss. Yeah. Um, not quite as, 
um, performative in the, you know, like actually there was work going on, but, you know, stay at the office until 10 o'clock at night, you know, whatever kind of, kind of thing. And, and I, sometimes I question, like I, I spent time thinking like, well, he was doing that. And, and, but when I really look at like, why was I staying, you know, I, I had it dressed up in like, well, if I don't stay, I'm not going to get ahead. Or if I don't stay, he's not going to give me a raise, but it just, it really had a lot to do, maybe not all, but a lot to do with what I felt I had to do to be good. Hmm. You know, I'm kind <laughs> of going back to that childhood scenario of like, you know, my mom wanted me to get straight A's and O's for outstanding and citizenship. You know, it's going to be yeah. like, everyone's got to like me. And so, so I got to make this boss like me. I got then got to go home, figure out how to make my wife like me, which is hard to do when you're working in, you know, until 10 o'clock. I got to be a great dad. I got to, I got to, and, 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 and like the conditions for my own worthiness of not even anyone else's love, but Jason's love of himself were stacked so high that it was impossible. You know, and that's that thing that you say of like, I just want to burn it down because it's impossible, you know, and, and that's another, by the way, you know, another frustration that we see in the world right now where it's just, for some people, it's just impossible and then they want to burn it down, you know, and like, so we, there's some compassion there. And as I started to kind of get in touch with my own heart, I started to see all of the ways that I too was performing mm. and, and that so much of it was just grounded in that I thought I wasn't lovable unless I was perfect. And over life, perfect takes on this kind of morphing, you know, I don't know how to describe it, you know, but just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing like a, like those Petri dishes where they put a cell in and then before mm, long, it's a monster, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I feel that. I, I feel all of that. Um, what, so what were the, you know, as you kind of came out of that world and you started to find your heart again, you started to look into your heart, like what, what were some of the initial things you did to, to find that path for yourself? therapy like what you know what kinds of things were you doing yeah i mean therapy was first and therapy was going on um i had started therapy because of the divorce and then got very serious about therapy because of what i was feeling around my mom being sick mm. and and then continued in that that therapy and so that was that for me was was step one, and I um, I love it as as step one because I think we have a tendency to do a spiritual bypass around our pain, mm -hmm. and if we don't kind of learn to sit with somebody and share our pain and do those ugly cries, you know, <laughs> on somebody's couch, I think we have a tendency just to kind of skip over that step and then to start to tell stories about fairies and unicorns and start to use special words that sound really spiritual and inside our hearts broken. And so therapy really taught me one, that my heart was broken and two, that it was safe for me to sit with myself 
and, and to tend to that heart. And that made it easier then for meditation and yoga and health and all of these things to become a way of tending to myself and to my own pain versus trying to get over it all. Yeah. And it, therapy can be this ritual in a way, in a way, right? You're like, okay, I got 50 minutes, you know, I got 50 minutes to sit here and, you know, maybe talk, maybe listen, maybe do both, you know, uh, but I have 50 minutes to tend to myself. Yeah. Yeah. And we think, I think like I'm thinking, I mean, listening to this conversation through the ears of somebody who hasn't been to therapy, who's thinking like, yeah, right. Mm. Like, what will that do? But so it's kind of like if you had a dispute with your boss at work and then because of that dispute, you stopped talking to your boss. Like you literally just stopped talking to the boss and maybe didn't even show up for work. And then what would be like the logical step to begin to mend that relationship? And it would be to like show up <laughs> and then to have a conversation, right? And a conversation, yeah. an honest conversation in which you go, hey, I was feeling this way and then I behaved this way and then have that kind of dialogue back and forth. And so like, in fact, there would be no other way to actually deal with it than to be to somehow show up and be accountable for the situation. And so I think sometimes we can take these concepts that seem really foreign and weird and scary to us and then just relate them back to life. And all therapy is, is making an appointment with yourself and showing up and being accountable. And we know that this works because this is how we deal with every other problem in the world, unless we drop nuclear bombs on it. And then, you know, some of us do that to ourselves as well too. But in general, if we want to like peacefully resolve a situation we show up and we dialogue. And so therapy is really us showing up and dialoguing with ourselves. you know? Yeah. I'm curious about like some of the things you had to unlearn because I, I know that when I first went to therapy, I, I wasn't opposed to it, but I, I just wasn't ready emotionally, spiritually, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you know, I, I, and I, a lot of that was because I learned, you know, as a, as a kid to kind of shut down emotionally because things were unsafe, right? And it took a long time to start sort of opening my heart to feel safe again, you know? And the first time I went to therapy still felt unsafe to me, right? And so I had to do an, a lot of unlearning around, okay, what does safety mean, right? And like, and then eventually, like, feelings are things I need to look at and be curious about as opposed to, you know, stuffing them down into my, you know, socks or whatever. Right. Yeah. So what, for you, what are the things you had to kind of unpack and unlearn? It's such a great question. And, and there's so much there, right? I mean, yeah, we're just taught at the, I mean, the very first time that you cry and someone tells you don't cry. Yeah. I mean, you're then, fine. Yeah, and you think about like how we do this to our kids and how it was done to us. How many times in the life of a young child we're, we, we're told or then as parents we tell our kids that their feelings don't matter and there's no space for them. Mm. And I have this great memory of my mom as, a, as an adult. We were at this apartment that I, 
that I lived in. And um, we were sitting around. We, I'd had some wine. I don't think she, maybe she had a glass of wine, but I'd had enough that I had some courage. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, she said, like, if there was one thing about your childhood, what would you change? Mm. And so I really didn't want to hurt her feelings. And so I thought of the one thing that would be honest that I thought would not hurt her feelings. And I said, I wish I would have had a dad growing up. And my mom broke down and crying and said, remind me to never ask you that question again. And and I'm laughing now because it's ridiculous and, and she's not here, but like that's the kind of stuff we have to unlearn. It, it's not like it wasn't safe to tell my mom that my dad shouldn't have left. Right. And so in therapy, like I started to learn, and then later in meditation, that it was just okay to be with whatever's there. Like it's there. And I I can either build a story on top of it and try to suppress it. Or I can actually just acknowledge what's what's there, you know? And so I think the big thing I unlearned is that it wasn't okay to be me. That somehow Jason, as he showed up in that moment, wasn't enough. Hmm. And that was buried under a whole bunch of tears and a whole bunch of pain. But you can feel the freedom that could come from believing that you're enough and it's okay to be to be who you are you know and flash forward to today this is what a whole bunch of people are struggling with is that it's not okay to just be me sitting in my apartment i'm not Mm. enough unless i'm working sporting dating you know fill in the the inging and it's just there's such freedom in saying it's okay to be me it's okay to have it's, it's okay to be mad at my mom it's okay to be mad at my dad it's okay to be ashamed of things that i've done it's okay to feel guilty it's okay to feel happy it's okay to achieve something and take a break you know all of these all of these things right that like the 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 level of expectation that we've laid on top of ourselves that comes ultimately from that message we learned as children, which is, it is not okay to be you. Right, right. You know? And and wow, that's deep because all of <laughs> we're all going out in the world, and we think we're adults sitting around a table negotiating something or having a discussion or working out something with a spouse, and we're actually these two-year-old little kids who have been told it's not okay to be us, and that's what we're arguing about. <laughs> you know, and you see it now, you know, right now, thank God for this beautiful example. We see it in a government and, and you go, wow, like this is where if, this is where if we take responsibility and, and we look inside with a little bit of love, we actually can start to make some change, not just in our own lives, but in this circle around us, because we start to show up actually as whole adults versus hurt children which is a just a really sad horrible thing to think about like how many of us are carrying this deeply seated belief 
that you are not good enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I know I do. Uh, you know, my, my, my stories, my old stories are that I don't deserve love and that I deserve to be in pain, yeah. right? Like yeah. just these, you know, nonsense stories I tell myself and, you know, um, you're right. It's, it's like, I hear it again and again, these things. And, and the reality is, yeah, it's, it's, I think in acceptance, in that acceptance, in that acceptance of ourselves comes the, the peace and freedom and sort of letting go to like, then allow ourselves to start knowing ourselves better and to loving ourselves even better and brighter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the important things is that I in I in no way want to give the impression that I'm cured. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like all of these thoughts and emotions are still there. They still come up, but I have a relationship with them now because I stopped hiding from them, you know? And, and so I still have times all the time, including today where insecurities of not being good enough creep up. Yeah. And the difference is it's not the governing story that's dictating my actions. It's a story that's running that, you know, on my best days I'm aware of and compassionate to. Sometimes I'm blind to it, but it doesn't go on for too long before I go, oh, <laughs> that's you. I, I, come on. Here, come over here. Take a <laughs> seat and let me give you a hug and it's going to be okay. And that's definitely not what your wife was saying to you. You know, <laughs> you know, right, like, <laughs> right. and, and so it's like, I think that's an important part of all of this is that we, I think we want all of these things to be cures. We want all of these things to like, okay, cool. So I meditated for 30 minutes. Now everything's good. I go, no, it's not. This is a lifelong relationship. And like every relationship, it requires your presence and attention and ultimately love. And, and that's hard because I think we don't think we're worthy of that. And so that's why these things start off as kind of habit building exercises and practices and programs because it takes a minute to get ourselves into a place where we think it's okay to spend 15 minutes meditating, you know? Mm. If I can, if I could, if I knew the number of people that have told me I don't have time. Oh, sure. And then you go like, you don't have five minutes to sit and breathe. Well, I guess five minutes. I mean, like think about out of 24 hours in the day, what we believe the value of our own heart is, is that it's not worth five minutes. And that's Mm. not a knock on anybody because this is a hundred percent what we've been and are being taught. And it takes, you described yourself earlier, like with some rebelliousness, you know, or something like that. You use the word like that. We got to be a little rebellious and go like, (laughs) this is bullshit, man. Like my heart is worth it. And I'm going to sit here and care for myself for a few minutes. And then, and then just those few minutes, like that example we used earlier, where you walk into your boss's office and sit down and say like, Hey, I was wrong. It starts a whole new relationship and something beautiful can happen in just a few minutes a day because we, we're just paying attention to ourselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
So Jason, for, for the listeners who, you know, maybe have been in a place where they felt like I don't have the time to meditate or, you know, go there. And, and I, I definitely resonate with that at times for sure. Like, can you maybe share a few tips for someone who's maybe never meditated? Yeah, I think, um, it's one of the biggest questions I've been getting during the, the shutdown since, since, you know, kind of the awareness of COVID began has been like, how do I start meditating? And one of the things that I've started to say to people is don't, like, don't add, don't add one more thing that you're supposed to do right now. Instead, mm-hmm. like maybe just set an alarm in your phone for a couple minutes every hour and just close your eyes and breathe, you know? And then if you want kind of like a question to hold while you're sitting and breathing, it's just like, what's it like to be me? And just kind of pay attention to that, you know, like a minute, an hour, five minutes, an hour, five minutes, once a day, you know, like come up with something that you could do and something that kind of gets you out of this loop that we're all caught in you know, of work and news and phone and you know, Instagram and all of this stuff, which is wonderful. And I don't have a problem with any of it and don't want to give off that impression, but we need to create space as well to look inside. And so I kind of think like if you haven't meditated, that's a really great place to start is just close your eyes, take some breaths and just explore what is it like to be you right now. I feel antsy. I think this is stupid. <laughs> I feel embarrassed. I think I ought to be getting back to work. I really want to check my phone. I wonder who's ahead in the debate. You know, whatever it is, it's all okay. And then we're just sitting and no kind of sense that I shouldn't be thinking this or feeling that we just kind of sit with that stuff and hold it and then start to discover what it's like to be us. And then slowly over time, well, that really is meditation. I just said, but you know, slowly (laughs) over time, maybe you want to formalize it a bit, but I think for now it's okay just to kind of start really naturally, really gently, really kind of organically. Yeah. That's very helpful. Thank you. So what, what, what is, I'm curious about like what you're doing, like for work now, are you working? Like what's, what's coming up in your world? What are you doing now? Yes. I took, um, I took several years off and, um, I kind of just went on this spiritual journey that I was privileged enough to be able to, to do. And I met a bunch of, you know, amazing teachers and, went on retreats and at at some point that was wonderful by the way. And, and I learned a a lot. And then at some point I realized that I had spent, you know, the better part of 37 years kind of hiding from my heart. And I realized that I was starting to hide from the world a bit, you know, it's just like, Mm. well, if I never go out and actually interact with (laughs) the difficulties of, work and things that come up around that everything will be great and so um 
I, I decided to, to start a small um, consulting company and I consult um, with uh, artists, um, mainly, um, I speak Spanish, and so mainly um, Latino artists, um, singers and bands on kind of, I call it the alchemy of um, music, business and spirit. Mm. But what it really means is like, hey, how, do you, how can we do good at the business side of this? Um, while at the same time, not forgetting our hearts and the art, you know, and how does that, how can we put all that in to the equation and have it spit out something where you're successful and happy. Mm. And so, um, that's what I do. And I, I really, I love it. I, I made it myself a deal that I would only work with artists that I loved. And, um, hmm. So it's created kind of this thing where I have these great relationships and we talk about things I like, like I love the music business. And so that never stopped. And I love these kind of conversations around the heart. And so the two of those together is kind of sweet for me. I love that so much. And, and, you know, the heart isn't often referenced in the context of, business or industry or, or whatever. Right. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you're taking that, you know, that view on it, that position on it. Cause it's, it's, as you know, so well, it's, it's all of it, right. It's, 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 it's the whole picture and, you know, the heart brings the balance. Yeah. I think we've got to look, we've got to make money because that's the currency that our world runs on. And, and yeah, and we've we've got to find a way to feel happy, you know. And I think those mm-hmm. those two things, you know, there's a lot of people who would kind of teach like money doesn't matter. Sure. And I always find that those are the same people who like are hitting me up for a donation to to pay the bills at the meditation center that they're <laughs> offering. It's yeah. just like money matters for somebody, but just not not just not them. And I think like an honest, and I don't mean that. I think it's okay that we've got some people out meditating in, in caves and it's okay that we've got some people out, you know, trying to run the world. But I think for most of us, we need some kind of middle ground. And, and so I think, you know, kind of, if we keep both of those things present, you know, I need to make money and I need to be happy. And then, it sometimes it will tilt to one side or the other. Like the word balance I, I have trouble with mm. and I like to think of it more as flow. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. when I notice that I'm having trouble in my life, it's because one of those two things isn't flowing. I've, I've kind of stagnated the happiness and I'm only thinking about business or I've stagnated the business and I'm only thinking about happiness. And I don't think they're ever running at 50, 50, but or maybe sometimes, but not generally. But as long as they're even trickling, it's kind of okay, you know. Like it's just there's there's room in there for both, and there's little streams going. And I think if we can keep both of those present, we've got a, we've got a shot at kind of having these types of lives that we wanna that we wanna have. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's great. So, Jason, we always wrap up the show talking about our empathy heroes folks in our lives that we believe are 
our favorite feely, heart-led, empathetic, wonderful humans. Um, they could even be characters from stories uh, we love, novels, what se- uh, etc. Um, I'm going to name my empathy hero this week to give you a moment to think about yours. Uh, my empathy hero this week, uh, it's really the whole team of empathy heroes. Um, so I, this week, uh, on Tuesday, as of this recording, I... I did a session. I led a session on mental health and podcasting at Podcast Movement, and it's you know it's funny. I'm 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 at a place in my life now where I <laughs> I mentioned the limiting beliefs before. I'm working on shedding those beliefs and and fighting against them, right? And 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 not believing them to be truth. And as a result of that, I've I've been trying to be more actively standing up for what I believe to be. A value that I can bring to the world, right? Uh, podcasting or talking about mental health and empathy, these things, right? And so I, I pitched this session to Podcast Movement a few months ago, and they they said yes, and I was very grateful. And I led this session with uh, Jennifer Lynn and Taylor Lee Nicholson and Pat Flynn. And uh, I just wanted to call out the whole podcast movement team and then, you know, Pat and Taylor and Jennifer as well, because it was just a, a beautiful conversation around how the craft of podcasting can be this force for empathy and vulnerability and connection and really enjoy the conversation. And I'm just so grateful for uh, the podcast movement team for giving me the chance. So they're my empathy heroes this week. I think that's beautiful. What a great question. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to shift empathy just to to compassion. Sure. If that's okay with you and and I know they're often synonymous in in kind of the meditation traditions there's a there's a tiny there's a tiny difference. Um and so I'm just going to shift it to to compassion and I I think I have I have two and the first um is Sharon Salzberg who um, was one of the original people that brought meditation um, from India to the United States. She with um, Jack Kornfield and Joseph Goldstein um, some 40 years ago. And um, for me, she, I, I met her at a moment that my meditation was kind of stuck. And I, had, I was studying with a teacher who was very much kind of action- oriented and very much out there, go do something, create something um, oriented. And because I was coming from a corporate and professional world where all that mattered was out there, it just wasn't clicking with me. And and, and I met her um, and, and she really taught me how to care for my heart. You know, she really taught me a lot of these things that I talk about um, about kind of forming new relationships with ourselves and being there for ourselves. And, you know, she's someone who experienced a lot of pain in her own life. And so it was kind of safe place to talk about pain and to learn how meditation, we can learn to hold our, our pain. And mm. so, um, Sharon, who I love is, is one. And then the second, um, is a new, um, acquaintance for me. And his name is Lama Rod Owens, and um, he's in the, the the Tibetan tradition. And um, he 
his book Love and Rage. It's just kind of this mm, great great book title. About, yeah, I mean, I just loved it, and and he's a he's a black um, queer man, and so it's it it's about his experience, but it's also a very deep Dharma book um, about how love and rage can sit together, you know, in, mm. a, in a meditation practice. And for me, he's kind of introduced this, the, just the concept of the broken heart, like that, actually that phrase is something that I've stolen from him. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so it just in, in the fact that we can even talk about broken heart, you can see where the empathy and the compassion um, comes in. And so th- those two right now are, are kind of front and center in, in my in my heart and in my in my mind. Hmm. Hmm. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. They sound amazing. I mean, I'm I'm very familiar. Not very familiar. I'm I'm certainly familiar with Sharon Salzberg, but I'm not familiar with. Can you name uh, what's his name again? Yeah, his name is Lama Rod Owens. Lama Rod Owens. I'm not familiar with uh, with him. He sounds amazing. Um, very very eager to to learn more for sure. Yeah. So thank you, thank you. You know, it's like. That's an interesting thing because I, I, I know we're wrapping up, but I'll just share yeah, yeah. this. Go ahead. That's kind of – I had this goal this year is I wanted to diversify kind of my my teacher base and my influence. Mm. And, and one of the things that I found is that all of my teachers were either white or Asian, but not because I – found an Asian teacher because there's are you know, a lot of these practices are rooted in, in Asia. They came from Asia. Yeah. And, and so when I really said, I want to have some, some other influences and there is this very, very rich um, movement, a new, you know, relatively new movement of um, African American teachers um, that, that is, and that Lama Rod is kind of you know one of the the, the leaders of, and um, I, when I bring up his name, oftentimes people tell me, oh, I don't I don't know him, and I and I can feel that because I didn't know him either. Mm. But it's worth it. And Zenju um, Earthland Manuel is another really really wonderful um, black teacher, and it's just I don't know. I have found new vocabulary and new concepts. And um, things that I've learned, and things that I felt that I wasn't hearing from other teachers, and um, yeah, I mean, I think we all know diversity's diversity is important, but it's taken on kind of a deeper place for me because um, I've really discovered some some beautiful teachers, and and he's one of them. Mm, thank you. Yeah, no, I it, it's a beautiful example of um, you know the the growth and learning and uh, just heart leading, you know, just heart growth that we can do as humans when we can interact with and connect with people we don't usually interact and connect with, right? People from different perspectives, right? People from different backgrounds. Like that's, that is crucial part of human growth. And um, it's a good example of that. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's it. And it's uncomfortable sometimes, <laughs> you know, like totally. I, 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 my son, um, who is half Mexican, um, he went to work for bell hooks. Who, oh, wow. Yeah. Who's one of the original teachers on kind of the intersection of race 
and feminism and capitalism. Yeah. And Bell Hooks so is amazing. it was this beautiful opportunity for him. And he was learning on his own. And then he was learning more with her. And um, I wrote this piece about him leaving home and going to, to be with Bell. And Bell read it and said, he may be a white supremacist capitalist um, member of the patriarchy, but I love him. And, <laughs> and I tell that story because those words were not something I was used to hearing myself described as. Yeah. But she encompassed it in love. Hmm. And while they were painful, I could hear it. And then we all started having discussions and, and we were, you know, because there was this kind of envelope of love, it was this really kind of beautiful learning experience um, for me. And I just think, yeah, I think when we can, again, going back to kind of that see and hear, when we can see and hear and when we're willing to go on that exploration, we can discover uncomfortable truths about ourselves, which ultimately leads to us showing up in a more tender and vulnerable way. And, and, and for me, hopefully trampling less hearts in this world, mm. which, which is like a pretty basic goal that I have, you know, <laughs> like I, I want to make people feel better. Yeah. And I want to discover where, where am I hurting people? And so, yeah, I, I think that's kind of what this path is all about. Mm. Ah, it's amazing. I love that. And I love bell hooks. Yes. She's, yes. she's wonderful. Um, well, Jason, where can the listeners connect with you and learn more about the work you're doing? Uh, I am on social media, I guess I'm on all of them, but I really, um, kind of like Twitter and, um, Instagram the best. And that is, um, the Jason Garner at both of those Garner is G A R N E R. And then I have a website, which is jasongarner.com. And if you happen to be in kind of any of the music, entertainment, theater industries, um, I have another website which is full of free meditation um, resources, which is called loveforlive.org. And I created that site to, to help with the mental health of all of the people um, who are in those spaces whose businesses shut down and... Um, there's free meditation classes there and conversations with um, the teachers that I've talked about today and many others. Um, it's really a wonderful resource. I guess even if you're not in the entertainment industry, it's the site's there. So it's, and it's all free. So you should check it out. It's called loveforlive.org. Amazing. Well, listeners, all of those links will be in the show notes, including links to uh, Jason's compassion heroes. Um, Jason, thank you so much for being a part of You Me Empathy with me. Thank you. This was really, um, really wonderful. You never know how these things are going <laughs> to go. <laughs> oh, I know it. Uh, don't I know you it? Get these, okay, seven, seven tips for success and get out of here. I don't <laughs> want to talk about your heart. And so thank Ooh. you so much for creating this space because um, I love this. I could do this every day and I really appreciate you and appreciate you doing this. Listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring, pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Empathy.